the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Monday, February 27th. If you are getting notified with this podcast and you're saying to yourself, I already listened to the show. Well, we had to re-record it. Here's why. I'm pumped up on, med- on cold medication and I was without coffee this morning. And I sat here with cousin Dan and had a great conversation about Manny Machado's extension and the opt-out part of it and what it means for baseball and why aren't more players doing it. And we got all in depth with some agents and things like that. And I referenced that Scott Boris did a hell of a job with this contract and then realized that Scott Boris is not Manny Machado's agent. So <laughs> we, uh, we re-recorded this thing to uh, obviously properly reflect the entire conversation uh, still talked a little bit about Boris because some of his clients are at least coming up for this conversation and a couple of his clients didn't go this route. So uh, we're giving MVP sports group the due they deserve. Dan Lozano got this deal done from Manny Machado. It's a, it's a monster. It comes with uh, a massive, massive price tag of career earnings at the back end of this thing when he's age 40. Where does that rank in Major League Baseball? What is it compared to in terms of Mike Trout, Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper, and lots of the other best players in the game? What does it mean for the shortstop position that just continues to rake in money in this league? And what's to come of this player opt-out? Should it be something that more players use? Why maybe isn't? Aren't we seeing this kind of spiral and become a copycat thing like we see in so many other sports when one, one player is so successful in doing it? And also, of course... How the hell are the Padres spending all this money and is it actually going to work at the end? So that's our conversation with Cousin Dan. Version 2.0, I do start with an NFL conversation here, of course. Breaking down the defensive side of free agency. It's going to be a heavy defensive free agency. If your team needs help on that side of the ball, you should be reading some of these free agent pieces right now because there's a ton, a ton of notable names at the top that I think are going to cash in 15 to $25 million per year pretty easily come March 15th. The Los Angeles Rams, never a, a, a non-fascinating team. Les Snead is always doing something this offseason. He's one of the more stable but creative GMs in the league. I like to reference things that way. Uh, it's a team that I can't get enough of because they continue to add pieces more and more and more, and they are not afraid to subtract. They are not afraid to get in, get out, but obviously that means dead cap. Well, also in their case, it means dead cash. What do I mean by that? A player is released and or traded, but there is a guaranteed bonus involved. More often than not, the Rams have paid that bonus, especially if he's released, for a player to literally go away to the free agent market. It's about to happen again with Bobby Wagner, and there's a big old salary guarantee sitting on Jalen Ramsey's contract that is at least going to be a point of contention uh, if he's considered for a release. We'll see what happens if he's traded. Two big names here with the Los Angeles Rams coming off the books. What does that mean? And what historically have the Rams done with their superstar players? I've done this quite a bit. I've done deep dives and salary cap retrievals and all sorts of things with the Rams. And I was able to, off the top of my head, find five contracts in the past three, four seasons. I think it's three where they have essentially paid a price to send a player out the door to the point of nowhere. And I've known this, I just haven't been, you know, kind of put it to a segment like this. It's just how Les Snead's doing business. Les Snead is building bonuses into the future years, and the Eagles have done this too, by the way, that essentially are going to be dead cap. 
And instead of it hitting right now, it's just going to be sitting out there in next year's contract. It's a fully guaranteed roster bonus for next year. And, you know, if everything goes exactly as they planned, the player's just going to make the bonus and play out the next season. And if it doesn't, and if there's turmoil or if there's a cap crunch, which is common, there's a really good chance that that player gets outright released and or traded, but the Rams end up paying that bonus. Jared Goff signed a six-year, $161 million extension after that Super Bowl run with the Rams. The Rams paid him two years and $57 million out of that contract and then paid him $2 million via the trade to Detroit to acquire Matthew Stafford. So he ended up making $59 million out of 161 from the Rams. Todd Gurley, six years, $71.5 million. The Rams paid two for 27 and then handed him a $5 million roster bonus per the release. Brandon Cooks, five years, $81 million. Two for 38 and a half plus $4 million to go. So two for 42 and a half. By the way, Todd Gurley, two for 32 and a half, which on an AAV level, that's Christian McCaffrey. So I'm not saying that what the Rams have done here is lowballing the player. In fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. Let me keep going. Clay Matthews in the twilight of his career, two for 9.25 million, turned out to be one year, three and a half million, plus a $2 million roster bonus to go. Bobby Wagner, the reason I brought this up in the first place, five years, 50 million, which at the time looked like nice value and looked like a great fit. And by the way, Bobby Wagner was phenomenal this year. For whatever reason, could be that Wagner's just reading the room, could be that there's a rift, could be that the Rams want it to happen this way. They want to you know, cut some cash. Bobby Wagner's about to be out the door at one year, $7.25 million, plus a $3.5 million roster bonus due next year, which they'll pay him once they release him. It's just how they do business. And I got one more for you. Now, I don't think this is going to qualify. That's why I kept it last. Jalen Ramsey, six years, $114 million. So far, the Rams have paid out three years, 58.8, and there's $12.5 million guaranteed on next year's salary. Now, most of what I'm hearing, and I've been hearing it for a while now, to the point of where I put it in bubble pieces, trade pieces, and I've now tweeted it. Most of what I'm hearing is that he's going to be traded. I believe there's a team like Detroit or Jacksonville or, or one of those right, almost right there but need that jump. Maybe not Jacksonville. That feels like that one has uh, some ramifications going backwards. But there's that team sitting right there. I'd put the Saints in this conversation. That will probably take him on at basically what is a one for 17, 12 and a half million of it guaranteed. That 12 and a half million is fully guaranteed. So if we get to the point where they just can't work out a trade and they want to move on from this contract, they're going to pay him $12.5 million to go away, to start and find a new contract elsewhere. To me, that's too rich. Uh, you know, That's even more than the Matt Ryan $12 million, which I think they're just going to have to eat that in Indy. That's $12 million fully guaranteed, and we're closing down on the date when a lot more kicks in. So I think that's a trade situation. I don't think this is going to qualify. I believe that guaranteed salary just transfers to a new team. But I wanted to throw it out there that Les Snead knows that, knows that these things happen. And he is not afraid to do it. And in fact, he is structuring contracts 
in this matter. Yeah, we're going to give you some future guarantees and we're not afraid to pay that as a parting gift in March. It's just the way we're going to do business. It's going to be part of our dead cap scheme. Sorry to release you. Here's a parting gift, a million dollar parting gift, multi-million dollar parting gift. So it's become a thing. And when I, now when, when I see a fresh new crop of Rams contracts this March, and I expect to see a bunch now with, with a lot of the turnover here, I'm going to start looking for those. And I'm going to start identifying what's the one and done price tag on this. Um, look, even Stafford had one. And I mentioned this in December when he had to go on his wife's freaking podcast and basically say, you know, because the world started talking about it. I'm not retiring. They're not getting rid of me, even though the contract has a huge out. Well, it did. Less than he'd even built one of those huge outs in the Matthew Stafford situation. Had a small guarantee in 2023 and a lot more that's going to kick in, right? This year plus next year, sort of a Derek Carr situation, but with some guaranteed dollars on it. That's just how they're doing business in LA. Will that change? Are they, is, is all of this now the establishment that a new regime is coming in? In terms of contracts and major players, you know, the Aaron Donald stuff is dwindling. His play is not, but you know his career is starting to hit the backside just from a, an age standpoint. What happens when the Ramsey contract is flushed out? The Donald contract is eventually flushed out. And then at some point over the next two, three years, the Stafford contract is flushed out. Will they continue to do business this way? It, it's been, they've been paying premium prices. You know, I don't think anybody who's there is is mad about what they had, including Jared Goff. Jared Goff got basically 30 million for, you know, 30 million a year for two years back when that was the premium price, right? That's when, that's long before the Mahomes situation and all that. So I, uh, I like this approach. I think it's unique. I think there's a lot of teams afraid to put cash dead, you know, dead cash into situations like this. Um, for the most part, these these situations that I referenced had offsets built in. For those of you who aren't aware, offset language is basically, all right, Todd Gurley gets a $5 million bonus, but there's offsets attached to it. So he goes and signs for the Falcons at the league minimum 1 million-ish. Whatever he makes from the Falcons is subtracted from what he needs to be made, uh, the, the Rams had to pay him. So there's an offset to what he can make, which by the way, can work in the Rams' favor as well. So we'll guarantee you a $3 million bonus next year. But if we release you and it's got offsets, well, you go make $3 million from somebody else. Now we don't owe you a thing. So it's money that we built into the negotiation process that we ended up didn't even have to, having to give you because it uh, didn't work out here. It worked out somewhere else. So essentially, it's like a traded contract, even though it's a fully guaranteed payment. Bobby Wagner's contract, his $3.5 million bonus, does not contain offsets. So Bobby Wagner's going to get released. He's going to get that payment. He's going to go sign another contract with a great, with a great team, maybe Dallas. And he's going to make all that money plus this $3.5 million. So he did get a little one-up on less need in that regard. But for the most part, there's been a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, really smart, conscious thinking built into this. I really like the approach and I wanted to note it here. We'll see if it continues or if uh, things have to change in LA as this, Jesus, the Super Bowl window just slams shut. Maybe they'll contend. Maybe they're, you know, they're, they're dumping some of the bigger contracts in order to bring in just a load of depth. And we've seen that work quite a bit. But if not, if they continue to be kind of a middling team, we'll see if this kind of contract stuff remains or if they start to change their course a little bit.
Okay, one more thing real quick before we get to Dan and baseball. The available free agents, the pending free agents in the National Football League, um, every year there's, it's a mixed bag, right? It's going to be a wide receiver year. It's going to be a edge rusher year. It's going to be a left tackle year, something. Um, it's officially a defensive year as a whole, okay? So I have my own list. I've seen The Athletic has a great list. There's a bunch of lists of top free agents. You can, you know, obviously massively objective. I have, you know, tons of names off the top of my head here that I've done the work on. But if I just try to subtract any player that's getting a franchise tag here, in my opinion, and I just start to go down the list that I have formulated for myself, yes, there's quarterbacks. I wouldn't call them elite quarterbacks, right? You've got Lamar somewhere in this conversation, but he's taggable. Certainly there's Carr. Certainly there's Garoppolo. I don't know what the Daniel Jones stuff, but he's, I guess, there somewhere. But players who I'm positive aren't getting tagged that need to be talked about, right? Javon Hargrave coming from the Eagles. I know they want to keep him. If they let this thing get to March 15th or even March 13th with negotiations, I think somebody might go 25 million a year in this guy. Okay. I mean, enough is enough with his value. I realize he's an inside uh, defensive tackle, but he has shown he can move around. He has now shown on three separate teams that he can play ball the right way. He has to go out there and test this market, in my opinion. And I, I, I realize he probably wants to stick with this Philadelphia roster and good for him, but he's a top five. Even when you include the tag players, he's in the top five. Jesse Bates, the safety. I don't think there's a second tag coming for him. All right. So we've got a defensive tackle. We've got a safety. Bobby Wagner, I just mentioned. He's now in this conversation. All right. He's top. He's a top 10 free agent, in my opinion. He, he played 98% of what he has been his whole career last year. He was absolutely outstanding on a team that was a sinking ship for most of 2022. Let's stick with Philly. James Bradbury. Just because I don't think he's going to break the bank. I mean, you can get a starting cornerback that I don't think the Eagles can afford, but you don't have to go top of the market for it either. He's in the top 15, top 20 of many of the uh, free agent lists, myself included. Tremaine Edmonds. I don't think there's a tag coming for him, and I don't think there's a hefty contract extension offer coming from Buffalo. This is a potentially game-changing center of the defense player. We've seen it in waves in Buffalo, right? A little bit last, or a little bit two years ago, a lot this past year. So it's certainly trending in the right direction. If he can continue to play like he did last year, or maybe even learn to stop the run a little bit, he's going to change a, a young defense. You know, I'm looking at Atlanta. I'm looking at Chicago. Uh, even if you want to go with a better team, right? Um, there, there's a team sitting out there that I think will go big on a player like this. He's a top 15 free agent still on the defensive side of the ball. How about a player eight years older than him, but still just as damn valuable? Levante David, he's gone. I mean, Tampa Bay is not doing this again. They're not going to run back with that. Uh, Levante David and Jamel Dean, the cornerback from Tampa Bay's defense, are both going to walk, in my opinion, because uh, the, the days of taking some friendly contracts to stick around for Tom Brady are certainly done. Both those players are top 20 free agents. Again, we now have two cornerbacks, two off-ball linebackers, a safety, and a defensive tackle, and I'm not even into where my top 20 would be. And I got to go back to Philadelphia, and I'm sticking with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I mentioned him before on this podcast. Uh, he's done it all. He, he's a ball hawk. He's a shutdown guy. He's a run stopper. He's going to load up on tackles. 
he's small, so he's going to be injury prone. And that's obviously what, what uh, torpedoed his season in 2022 a little bit here. I think he's a $16 million safety. So I don't think he's going back to Philadelphia either. Um, look for one of these teams that needs all defense, right? Tennessee, Philadelphia, or, uh, Atlanta, Chicago, like I'm mentioning. Marcus Davenport. The Saints. We know what their situation is. You know, they generally do bring back one big contract a year. They might punt on Kamara. They might punt on Michael Thomas. I don't know what they're doing at quarterback. They're in on Derek Carr. But, I mean, this guy's a, a first-round pick edge rusher who just played out his fifth-year option. He's going to walk. He's going to walk. So we'll see what he can get to. Um, he hasn't gotten to the quarterback. So is he one of those Jadavian Clowney-type players that never even you know really hits as a true edge rusher? Even if that's the case. And you bring him in as a value pick right now and just try to fix him. Arden key him a little bit, right? We saw Jackson will do nice work with that. It's worth it. It's worth it to have him here because of where he started, because of the kind of ceiling he holds. We now have an edge rusher, two safeties, two cornerbacks, a defensive tackle, and two off-ball linebackers. And I'll give you one more. I'm going to give you my third safety. And again, I haven't left my top 20. I haven't left it yet. And that's Jordan Poyer. Buffalo Bills safety uh, certainly has had his, his share of injuries. He's getting up there in age 32 for the 2023 season. Can you get him in at three for 30? Can you get him at three for 36? I, I think you can. Uh, it just brings an absolute fire and attitude with him that is going to change something, you know, and I'm, I'm going to pencil him in in Dallas. I'm going to pencil him and Bobby Wagner in in Dallas. And I'm going to put a lot of chips into the Cowboys this offseason. I think that they know their path forward. I think they understand Dak Prescott's inefficiencies and where things may be going. There may be a big contract coming for Dak here soon, by the way. And they understand what's happening around. They understand that if they play their cards right and go a little bit aggressive right now, that they can rip some things away from Philadelphia and really take hold, especially with, I don't know. I mean, how else can you look at New York right now, the Giants, outside of just confused? You know, I mean, the Daniel Jones negotiations are, are loud and they're big and they're going to settle down here at some point. And whether that's a, you know, four at 35 a year or four at 40 a year or a one for 32 tag, he's going to be back in the fold there. But will they have done enough? And will the franchise tag stop them from adding the weapons they need to add, keeping Barkley to keep, keep him in the, in the fold and then adding to that defense that they pillaged? two years ago, especially with the new regime. I think the Cowboys smell blood a little bit is my point. And if we're talking about a defensive heavy top 20 free agency, and I am, that's where, that's where the cards are here. You're going to see some really nice teams take big steps forward because in my opinion, there's been a lot of attention draft wise focused on offensive lines, weapons, obviously quarterbacks, and some of the defensive, you know, situations have fallen off a little bit here. I think there are teams that said, my God, if we could stop the ball, Detroit, right? Detroit, Atlanta, when they were leading their division for a while, for a minute. If you're willing to be aggressive defensively, there are names to be had here. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it to be not just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of quarterback trades and quarterback contracts and wide receiver contracts that kind of stacked on top of each other last year. We're going to have some really good variants. We're going to have some good teams overpaying for big defensive players. I'm excited for that. Um, 
I'll do a little bit more on the free agent stuff over the next course of the next weeks. Like I said, the March 13th is the negotiation period. We'll hear plenty more before that, especially as the tag stuff falls into place. But, um, you know, if I'm missing a name that you think should be in this top 20 defensively, that's by Trek on Twitter. Always happy to have that conversation. I'll be doing plenty more free agent stuff over the next couple of weeks. Let's talk some baseball. All right, Dan, Manny Machado surprised us a little bit here with an 11-year, $350 million extension, canceling the opt-out that was pending for 2024. Um, the numbers are outstanding. He becomes the first Major League Baseball player to sign two $300 million contracts. <laughs> um, that tells the story right there. The career earnings for this thing are kind of out of bounds. I mean, we're talking Mike Trout type stuff here. He's approaching $500 million now guaranteed through age 40. Uh, where do we start with this? Is this a surprise to you? Do you believe that Manny Machado was headed for an opt-out in free agency in 2024? Does the market say that's what should have happened here? Or do you think this was just too good to pass up? Yeah, well, for starters, we were, I think it was very well known he was going to opt out um, of that, uh, you know, yeah. without something getting done prior. <clears throat> it sounded like there was a, sort of a a player imposed deadline of mid-February um but we know how that goes if uh, if negotiations go well so yeah it, it, in terms of him opting out we think that was a foregone conclusion the timing of this did surprise me I will admit I thought he was going to go to free agency um but I mean once we see the numbers at it <clears throat> on it it yeah. it's hard to uh it's hard to to say he shouldn't have signed it when he did you know <clears throat> Yeah, we don't have the breakdown yet. That's coming with an official announcement from the Padres, I'm sure, soon. Um, it's It did rip up this current season, so it's going to start immediately, which means outside of deferred payments, $31.8 million on the tax. Um, easily the Padres' biggest number right now. But let's talk about the Padres quickly before we round back into how the Machado situation got here. Uh, $888 million of off-season spending now from the San Diego Padres. That's... Uh, light years ahead of everybody else in their division, which is the point here, right? I mean, that's that, you know, the Mets are combating with the Braves who've been aggressive for three years, the Phillies who continue to push now with Dave Dabrowski at the helm, but the Padres have been sort of one or two piecing the thing together. Right. And now they, they smell blood and they're going right. I, I don't know that it's got the legs to get them to the finish line here, Dan, but you have to respect this kind of uh, aggression, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think the one thing that could keep them grounded is, you know, maybe a perceived lack of depth um, throughout like the offense and defense. Um, but th there's really no way to, to sugarcoat it. I mean, they have maybe the best all around um, <clears throat> offensive lineup uh, one through nine in, but, in the by league. By lack of depth, you mean having four shortstops because they have four shortstops, right? right. I mean, Tatis, I, I, Kim, it's, it's, there's a lot of moving parts here. There's no question about it. Right. There is some versatility there. Like it, it Tatis is almost certainly going to play center when he gets yeah. back. Um, Kim is going to be sort of a utility guy could see time at second and third um, as, as well as short. So they have some versatility there. I guess what I'm saying is like, when we look to the second layer of um, prospects throughout the organization, you know, when you're yeah. every, every team needs roughly eight to 10 starters throughout the season. Um, you know, once you get past those starting five and the starting nine, all I'm saying is it gets, gets a little bit thin, um, quickly. So if there is a hole to poke, um, 
on this team. That's the way to do it. Otherwise, yeah, absolutely. They're ready to go. Um, ownership is committed to spending money. Um, we've seen it in recent, yeah, not only in trades, um, it, it sounds like AJ Preller has had um, a long leash to do almost whatever he has wanted in terms of like being aggressive with trades in recent years. And now we see this with contracts as well. So, um, you know, it, 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 is there another, is there another follow-up to this? Is this setting up for something greater in, uh, you know, upcoming seasons or, or maybe even later this year, who knows, right? So. It's certainly giving Juan Soto something to think about. There's no question about it. You know, does this team need Juan Soto long-term? Um, I mean, I need is need is hard to quantify. He's an elite player in his prime. Um, maybe hasn't even hit his prime yet. So I want to say yes. Um, if he chooses to go elsewhere, sign elsewhere, I think they will still, the Padres would still be in on a big, um, a big time player to replace him. Um, I, let's just say, I don't think all these moves, um, are going to they're not going to pump the brakes no. after making these moves if anything no, it if anything it's a platform if anything this is this is the starting path to get a Juan Soto to stay and or to attract the Shohei Otani this coming off season which i i think that's what's happening here i think the the aggression the aggression of this move because you're right i think that deadline had passed on the Machado situation and i'm not sitting here talking you know speaking for his agency uh, MVP sports gear, by the way. But uh, my guess is that the Padres kept pushing because they wanted to build the best resume possible for the trade deadline and or next this coming winter when the big fish is available. And that big fish is up in Anaheim right now and probably about to run away. So uh, they know that the Dodgers are in. They know that the Mets are in. The Yankees are in. The Red Sox are in. Every big team, the Cubs are in, right? I, I can't think of a big team that won't try for Shoei Otani. So you're right. Uh, I mean, this extension might might be half of what we're looking at over the next couple of months here in, in San Diego. It could be a historic, historic set of contracts put together. I, I guess, and we've had this conversation before, you alluded to the depth part of it. We just, we don't see super teams like this work, you know? They did work. There was a, a run with the 90s Yankees and things like that when, because the Yankees were spending so much more than everybody else and the game was sort of lopsided at that point in time, it was... How do you not win ball games? Enough ball games to at least get yourself to the finish line, but that's just not the case anymore. I mean, we see small markets with really smart people do great things. Uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays continue to do this every single year. Um, I think Arizona is going to sneak out, up on some people this year, right? They're they're not d- deep enough yet on the mound, but they're gonna they're gonna win some weird ball games against great teams. You've mentioned the Cubs a few times, who have sneakily put together a really impactful off season. And I just don't know. We, we, it's it's rare to see this kind of financial oomph immediately turn into immediate success. But I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for it because I like all the players. I like. I think spending money on good players is a is a nice approach. I know that sounds like the simplest, most elementary thing to say, but I I have no problem with the team signing four shortstops which is what they've done here, basically on a multi, multi-year long-term foot phase. Explain to me, Dan, why that's not going to be a problem and why more teams need to think this way. Well, why is that position maybe even more valuable? Well, teams like to focus on up-the-middle depth. <clears throat> right. Excuse me, because um, 
it, it translates well into into other areas of the field. Um, you know, guys who can play short can be transferred um, to third if they're too big for the position or second. Um, catchers, you know, have flexibility, um, et cetera. Center fielders can be moved to the corner. So you get my point there. So, and, and with the rule changes, um, there's going to be, you know, with the, the lack of a shift, there's going to be a new emphasis on second base defense. So you're going to see some shortstops, um, you know, probably in upcoming free agent years, you're going to see some shortstops get um, big time contracts to be second baseman on uh, contending teams that already have a shortstop in place. So um, there's, we're going to see a new dynamic coming up here in, in upcoming seasons in terms of that stuff. Well, will these players, cause this is not the only team doing this. Well, will teams that are moving shortstops to center field, something we, you know, we've seen quite a bit over the past, but I think it's going to start to ramp up a little bit here more. Is that going to, is that going to increase the value of center field? Because there was a bumpy road there for a while there. And then Brandon Nimmo scored big and Chris Bryant scored big. And we've seen a couple of off seasons in a row now with, you know, near $200 million contracts for a center fielder. You start putting players like Tatis Jr. out there. And, and I think there'll be other teams to follow. I think Corbin Carroll might get, you know, a $200 million contract here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, is there a sense that the, the positions that when we grew up, which were the primary positions, at, at least, you know, the non-pitchers, are they kind of rounding back into form financially, you think? I think the next great generation of center fielders is going to kind of start to come. And I mean, no one wants to hear this, but over the next decade, if you will, um, yeah. just like in terms of the, you know, the time it takes to marinate. Um, no, it's cyclical. These, You're right. It's bodies. cyclical. Yeah. But we really haven't, we really haven't seen, a, you know, a dual threat um group of center fielders like take over the game like we have um you know like the Jim Edmonds days when you know Andrew Jones every every center fielder was uh you know was the superstar on their team so I guess what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is um you know there's a lot of guys you know in being that have been drafted recently signed internationally that um could kind of fit into that bill that might not um be there quite yet but yeah to to your point um, that's going to like, we're seeing all these shortstop contracts, um, you know, kind of hurdle one another. Um, eventually we're going to start seeing that with these center fielders again. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a premier position. I, I mean, Brandon Nimmo with all due respect to your Mets, I mean, Brandon <laughs> Nimmo has really only put together one full season in his career and it was last year in his contract year. And he got paid handsomely for it because of a bidding war between several organizations that needed, center field i mean center field is is such an important position to to teams defensively it it can cover up both corner positions um you know if you have weak spots there and um we see teams like like cleveland lock up miles straw to you know miles straw is not a sexy player but he you know is a bottom of the order hitter guy who can steal bases but is an elite center fielder and you know he, he even if he doesn't develop any further from here on out offensively, he's going to provide you with that value set um, in, you know, defensively in center field. So any team with, with a surplus of center field talent, it, it pro- should be, and probably is looking to move them in some way. And in terms of like contracts, I think that's like the next, um, you know, big thing that we're going to be talking about here in future years. All right, back to Machado then, because uh, if we're talking positionally here, it wasn't a very good market, right? That Machado was about to enter into in December 2023. Uh, in fact, it was downright 
miserable in terms of available third baseman. He was going to be the big fish in uh, basically a bear lake, right? I mean, it was going to be him and a lot of older guys kind of aging out of any kind of big time, big time contracts or experience. Um, I, I don't think he left a lot of money on the table here though. I, I truly don't. Uh, we had him at about 34 million a year on an eight year contract. So I put him up to around age 37, 38 on this second deal. This one obviously takes him to age 40. I, I don't know that there's a there's much more than 32 million a year on 11 on 10 years sitting out there. I really don't. I think, uh, I think the bottom line here is about 95% of what his free agent value would have been. Um, so I think the Padres did very well here in securing him. I want to focus on why we're here with Manny Machado, um, a player who signed a huge contract when he was moved over from Baltimore and built in an opt-out. And that's what we're talking about here. He was going to opt out of this contract this coming December, put himself back on the open market. Uh, obviously, this extension now precludes that. But just the ha- just having this opt-out built into the contract, something we're not seeing enough of. I thought it was going to be a huge run this past two off-seasons of superstars buying into 11, 12-year contracts for AAV purposes, but opting out of these things halfway through resetting their market, letting the, you know, the inflation of the game, the inflation of the world kind of, you know, come up with them and then obviously doubling down on their value. It just hasn't happened. In fact, uh, the Padres kind of hold the two biggest names now in this regard and Xander Bogart who opted out of Boston signed with San Diego this past off season. And now Machado who didn't even have to opt out because he leveraged that opt out into an extension. Why aren't we seeing more of this, Dan? Why didn't Bryce Harper go this route? Why didn't, well, I understand Aaron Judge being a little older, but why aren't we seeing more mid-high 20 superstars who hit free agency for the first time try to segment themselves versus taking one big static contract? I don't have the answer to that. Um, I mean, I'm on board with you. I think it's going to become more popular. Um, I, I think we've seen it be quite successful recently you know it's not like we've seen a trend of them and and it turns out um it's been a flop for the player side um it's it's in most cases worked out so um i don't have a i don't have a good answer as to why they haven't um happened more but i do think uh things are trending in that direction is it i'll just throw some hypotheticals at you here is it the player simply not wanting to go down that route for whatever reason it is you know whether it's the team control mess, the arbitration mess, it's just such a back and forth battle that they just want to get their big money and get, and be done with it and play baseball. Is it the agents who either A, feel like they can't push the teams around right now, or B, don't even want to try to because of the optics, because of how, you know, essentially you could ruin a relationship with it, with a front office if you go in there and start swinging big, like, you know, here's your superstar. You can have them, but you, but you might lose them in six years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it that, or is it simply that the teams are much, much stronger with all of this than I give them credit for right now, even with the top, top 0.5% of this league? Uh, yeah, again, I, I, I don't just, just I don't, what, what's your guess? What's your best guess? Do you think it's, do you think if you had to rank those three in order, where would you put the players point of view? Do you think the players want the opt outs or does, or, or are they not willing to bet on themselves right now? All right. So that's the best way to put it. Baseball is, 
is the ultimate bet on yourself sport. If you're, if you're willing to sacrifice um, the security of immediate money and, and a long-term stability, if you will, um, you can navigate the pre-R, not really pre-R, but the arbitration process and the free agent process in a way um, that, you know, you can maximize your earning potential um, specifically after arbitration, right? Which we've seen Manny Machado do perfectly. Um, some other players might just want to, the, the safety of, you know, maybe Bryce Harper just wanted to be in, in Philadelphia the rest of his career, wanted to be the first $300 million player and just locked it up and didn't care about, you know, the, the ongoing flexibility of re-entering the market. Um, and Manny Machado opposite where they, they structured these um, in a way that um, got him back in prime years um, and coincidentally off of, uh, you know, I don't want to say career season, but um, you know, yeah. another top 10, top 15 offensive season out of him. So in a contract year, things add up, he, he cashes in. So I, I don't, um, I, I, it's I hate to say it's player preference, but like you know Ronald Acuna, we we talked about his pre-arb extension. Yeah. Um, I mean, is anyone going to fault him for signing that contract when he did? He, his career easily could have he could have been like many other prospects who fizzled out um, and didn't even you know make a couple million throughout their career. Instead, he locks up over a hundred million uh, for him and his family long term. If he wasn't, I mean, he's going to get back into free agency at some point, um, you know, yeah. presumably, sorry, at, at an age uh, where he can still get another big contract. But like, like you said, what are these guys really sacrificing at the end of the day? If they're, if they're gaining uh, 75, 80% of their full earning potential, um, I think that is probably you know worth it to them to just sign that deal and not try and milk that extra 20 30 percent out but then you have other players who do maximize that and then we look at them and you know compliment them for um how how it turned out so can, can we stay on harper with this because i think he's well a he's a great example because bryce harper was drafted number one overall in 2010 manny machado drafted number three overall 2010 so these players have been linked together for a long time and rightfully so um we don't need to do a he said, she said, you know, who's better, who's had a better career to date. I, I think it's been fairly comparable, except for Harper's, uh, you know, World Series run this past season. And that's sort of where I'm getting to. Let's put the injury aside on Harper, because I think it's actually looking better than some of us anticipated. I think he might be back at least at the plate quicker than, uh, you know, some of us have been saying out loud. So let's say he has a 75% full 2023 season. This is year six of that contract. This would have been, in my opinion, the perfect first segment of this 13-year deal. I, I, would have, I would have attempted to build an opt-out here, right here. He's just turned age 30. He's about 30 and a half years old. Coming off the World Series run with Philly, yes, you have the injury, so we'll factor it in. Would Bryce Harper have be opting out right now? if he had the opportunity to do so. If it was a one-time opt-out, I think yes. If it was a year-to-year -year player option, I, like, you know, like we saw with Correa last year, I, I think he would, uh, he would stay. There's eight years, 196 million left in this contract. <laughs> Basically the same situation that Machado just, it just went through negotiation wise. 
could he not get 350? Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. I think he <clears throat> isn't there a big fifty Clemson, sitting out there right now for Bryce Harper if, if there was a, an opportunity to do so. Right. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm just saying coming off of the injury, maybe there's a little bit of hesitation there um, or motivation where the player doesn't even want to re-enter at that point because he thinks his value has some um yep. ceiling to it. But um yeah, otherwise though, if the opt-out is now for the rest of the contract, can he get a deal that surpasses what is left on that deal. I say yes. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here and say that the players shouldn't do it however, however they want it. This is a, a very custom situation. Baseball's rogue. It's always been rogue financially. And I don't think that's going to change unless they start adding some serious stability to it, like max contracts or spending floors. Um, I did an opening segment on the Los Angeles Rams today, Dan, that highlighted basically every superstar player they've had over the past five, six years and how they've moved on after two, three seasons on all of them, whether it's an outright release or a blockbuster trade or whatever it is. And in every case, they paid handsomely for those two, three years. Most cases, they paid him a bonus to go away, a roster bonus that was guaranteed that they just said, here, take it and go to another team. But the point of it was they're basically leasing to sell on all of their star players. Even if they're, whether they're in a window of contention or not, this was through the Jared Goff Super Bowl run. This turned into the Matthew Stafford Super Bowl run. And even today with the Bobby Wagner news, and I think what would happen with Jalen Ramsey over the next couple of weeks here, they're buying to lease or they're leasing to sell on these players and they're paying well. You know, they're putting money down essentially on leasing, right? They're, they're, they're overpaying, front loading some of these contracts to make sure that the player is happy for a couple of years, but they're not falling in love with anything right now. Why don't, why don't Major League Baseball teams want to go this route? And, and, and let me say it differently. Do you think that this is how San Diego, the San Diego Padres are starting to think? Are they just saying, get everybody under contract, and then we'll move them? We'll get them the hell out of here when we have to. Yeah, I think we've seen, we have countless examples in the last 20 years of big deals that we thought were anchors get moved. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think... I think, yeah, the priority is to just figure it out in the short term and they'll deal with um, the future in the future. And, and I think that's the right way to operate. I you, do can't too. Al- you can't always just promise tomorrow. Um, at some point, you have to put your money where your mouth is. The, the Padres ownership has done that. Um, if it goes poorly, I, you, no one's going to fault them. Like I, I talk to you about this quite often with the Yoannis Cespedes contract for the Mets. Coming off that Mets World Series run, if the yeah. Mets did not resign Yoannis Cespedes, if if you just remember like the context of that situation, that team was ready to go. They were ready to win. If you rem- if you remove a, a a cleanup hitter, you know, big presence in the middle of the order bat from that lineup, it's a drastically different team. Um, I think that is the case. Um, you know, with any of these guys in the in the Padres, this, the same thing applies here. So um, I. I I, I I guess to connect the points, I'm just trying to say, even in hindsight, the Cespedes deal looks poor, um, you know, after a couple years, maybe the Machado deal or any of these other big deals that have been getting signed will look the same way. But in the moment, you can't fault the team for putting pushing their chips in and going for it. So I'm never going to criticize any of these teams um, for doing that, even, um, you know, even if it goes poorly. So one more last point on the opt outs and then we'll get to some bit, some, some numbers and get out of here. Um, my other favorite part of players building opt-outs into their contracts, 
And, you know, this is a team by team situation, but I think there are a bunch of teams that qualify. Don't you feel like it has, it has forced the Padres hands here, not just with Machado, but with everything else around them. They've basically said, all right, we want to keep this guy, but there's no way we're keeping this guy. If we're handedly in third place in this division every single year and, or we don't have a resume around us that, that, that we can sell this extension to, you know what I mean? Three or $50 million here, but with, without Juan Soto, without, uh, Josh Hader without any of these Darvish coming back long-term. I'm not sure it's the same 350. Do you know what I mean? They've done all this work to build up this ammunition to say, look, we're going after the Dodgers who, by the way, kind of took the off season off purposely. So this might be the absolute perfect season to do this. Um, there, it, I, I think the, this opt out specifically and Soto's arbitration and some other factors, Otani's free agency coming up, are really forcing San Diego to move right now. Are the Phillies going to need that at some point in time? You know what I mean? Like, are they, are they going to need to be, be re-motivated? I'm thinking of Boston here, who were just simply allowed to fall off a truck for two, three years, which should never happen in that market, in this game with the ownership. It should never be allowed to happen. But if one of your superstar players, you know, has an opt-out, I feel like there's always a push the gas pedal down situation to at least continue to try. It doesn't have to be to this degree. This is kind of absurd and historic, but, but I just think that constantly puts, puts pressure on you. It's one of the things I love about football contracts. You know what I mean? You can get out of them any point in time. I feel like it's always putting the onus on the player. It's all, if you've got the quarterback and you've got the quarterback signed, now, now the onus is on the front office to continue to pile on depth and new pieces and, and tinker. It's why the NFL offseason off is kind of uh, you know, undefeated every March. I like that. I like that players can actually put the team on notice, you know, and if it's all right, you give me a bunch of money. Now there's a bunch of money for 12 years, but every four years, let's say every, let's say every four years, there's some sort of condition built in just to say, look, we got to keep this train going or I'm going to, I'm going to request you get me the hell out of here. And I think that's where the Machados and the Sotos and, uh, and, and any of these younger guys that we've, we've mentioned in the past should really start to put the onus back on the team and say, look, not only is my contract going to be a ton of money, it's going to have power and not just money. And uh, I, I like that. So I'm hoping that more and more of these players uh, follow this path. Maybe this is just, uh, you know, the way that certain uh, agencies are willing to go. You know, we, we've seen Boris do this with Crea now for a couple of off seasons. It almost really worked out, right, with the, with the one-year player opt-out and then a gigantic free agent splash. He still did a very nice job coming back to Minnesota, but uh, if the Borises of the world are doing it, and now we've seen MVP Sports doing it here, let's hope this uh, this is infectious because I think it's good from both sides. I think it's good to put the pressure on the teams, and I think it's good to give these kind of players the ability to either double dip like Machado has, or just get out, change teams, start over, and and build a new story, build a new headline somewhere else. But I, yeah, well, I to, to your to your pressure point. Um, it, it sort of happened with Bryce Harper in Washington, right? Um, yeah. They they were uncertain if they wanted to sign him. There were some rumblings that the player wanted to see um, ownership invest in in the pieces around him. Sure. They signed Patrick Corbin to a long term deal, which now looks atrocious. Um, they brought up Victor Strasburg. Robles. And, yeah, right. They locked in Strasburg. They they brought up Victor Robles and a young Juan Soto um, before anyone really knew who he was to try and support a playoff run they brought they traded away Lucas Giolito for Adam Eaton like 
I, I, that hasn't like Giolito hasn't really hit his ceiling, but at the time that was sort of like a questionable move, but yeah. it was, everything was win now. So to your point, um, you know, having one of these superstars approaching free agency definitely puts pressure on the team to make moves in, you know, in the short term, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I, I think they, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a worthwhile attempt to, you know, you're, you're not going to re-sign a superstar of that caliber if you're not willing to put pieces around them. Let's just leave it at that. So, Manny Machado's future earnings, though, fully guaranteed. Any guesses? Um, I have a rough idea, so I'll let you. Yeah, $490 million plus. That's without any escalators or bonuses. We don't have those breakdowns just yet, but uh, that's as good as we have in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, Mr. Mike Trout, 480 and change on his extension that uh, preceded his arbitration extension, which he basically said to the Angels, I'm getting out of this. We're starting over on 12 years, kind of Patrick Mahomes-like. So, uh, you know, that was four years ago, Mike Trout, with that big 12-year extension. So it, it's it certainly fits the bill, what Manny Machado has done here, here with, uh, you know, basically a five and done and now tacking on $350 million over 11. It's a... It's a it's a it's a really smart new fresh way to, to treat this game right now, and I think you and I would both agree this is not even the best player in baseball doing this. This is just a player who plays the maybe a, the most important position right now for a lot of the reasons you noted. It's actually getting more powerful. Uh, obviously, not you know, pitchers withstanding. He was the right age. He timed his extensions properly. He didn't kind of give in to some of those ex- arbitration extension offers. I, I would imagine, uh, and, and just kind of I, I think he played this room right. He and his representation have done a hell of a job here with that. Who's next? Who's going to follow this path? Good question because... As it's not for everybody, about, right? It's not for everybody. No, and a lot of these young, what we consider young elite players have already locked up, you know, yeah. pre-arbitration deal. Yeah. yeah, that get them into their free agency year. So, um Man, it's a that one is hard to quantify for sure. I'm not sure. I don't have an answer. Do you think Otani does something like this? I, I don't think there's a chance in hell. No, I think last time we kind of touched on this, we had thought that you his value is ex, his ceiling value it has an expiration date on it, and their sure. best they're better off trying to maximize what they can right now. Um, unless like those opt outs, you know, those are into years that are already accounting for the fact that he probably becomes an outfield slash DH type, um, you know, when, once he stops pitching, but um, I'll give you a name. <laughs> We've already mentioned it quite a bit. Does Juan Soto do this? Yeah, he's probably young enough that it makes sense, yeah. um, you know, for him to to go for something like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, 20, Vlad, twenty-four and a half years old. See, I don't know if Vlad does it, Dan. I, I I don't see Vlad as one of those guys. I see him more as a just give me a long-term deal and uh, you know I'll make my money and move on. Especially you know, kind of being you know birthed into baseball, right? I mean, my goodness, uh, right? So, so I twenty-four. I guess. I guess where I sort of separate on that is 
like I think that comes into play when these players are looking into pre-arb or arb extensions that really get lengthy. Um, otherwise, most of them are going to make a book. Like if they sign one of those deals, they're making plenty of money on the front end. If they re-enter free agency at a reasonable age, they're still going to make more money. So, um, man, I'm kind I'm kind of split on it. I'm split. I think like so. Are, any, are you saying it's not even worth it? What I'm saying is any player who is young. Yeah. who is signing any sort of deal that gets them into free agency years should have opt-outs included in that contract. So a 10-year deal, if yeah. Vlad wants to sign a 10 for 400, by all means, but he should he should have some sort of opt-out in there at some point to just, re, just, to just kick tires on his value. If five years down the line, he's a $50 million player based on the current revenue of the sport, et cetera. There's so yeah. many variables that change what the current market status is. I mean, like we, we've talked about this in the past, but only a few short years ago, we were talking about, is Bryce Harper going to be the first $300 million play, <laughs> baseball player? And now you just said Manny Machado has signed two $300 million contracts. So like that is how quick things change in this league. So for a player to want to solidify his value um, as, you know, lock in his stock price for 10 years, you know, at one price with no flexibility at all. I mean, I get the value in that of just saying I'm a, I'm 40 million for the next 10 years, but I, I do think there's at least value of making, um, you know, under, let's say under that, under that example, 40 million, uh, you know, 10 years, 400 million, 40 a year, let's say an opt out after five, that player's already made $200 million right. in his career at a minimum. That's life changing money for them to re-enter the market there. Like, it, like, I'm just saying that there's such low risk from a player perspective to build in opt outs compared to the ceiling that they could capture. Um, by by putting that so I don't know if I did a great job of laying that out but I think you get what I'm saying I get it I get it and you know will the teams need more trade-offs to do it some kind of concessions do the, the last year or two have to be club options that are more fake uh, would anybody really gawk at that yeah maybe the players would you know maybe that maybe that's what the but whatever I think whatever has to happen you've got to give yourself the chance I, I would love to be talking about because this is what I'm I'm selfish I would love to be talking about Bryce Harper and Shohei Otani heading towards potential free agency together right now. I would absolutely love it. I would salivate toward it. I was hoping to have Machado there, but we're not, you know, and we're obviously not getting there. But I, I think that that could have been a realistic possibility. Bryce Harper would have made $170 million in his career heading towards December 2023. He could have opted out and probably slapped 350 on it and brought himself well over $500 million in earnings. So that's just well, not not to mention the ripple effects that having all of these different um, options built in, like, like we put together this free, the free agent tracker every year, we kind of have to curate it a little bit, but when we, when we try and come up with like a free agent list too early and we don't know who is opting in or opting out like this last year, there were several shortstop opt-in opt-out decisions where we were like, well, shortstop free agency could look, one way or very, very differently, just based on if Trey Turner opts in, if, um, you know, if Dan, Dansby swamps it, uh, uh, there were just a number of players, um, Bogart's opt out, et cetera. So um, from year to year, I think the free agent market would be way more exciting if um, you and, had and, all these variables. And, and just to finish on this, because it's a good point you're making. 
Did any of those players have any troubles getting a, a nice big new, at least fair market value contract, if not more? No, not one. No, not one. No, I mean there are there are. I mean, just you know, to be upfront, there are examples. Ian Desmond, for one, I think he did it twice where he bet on himself, passed up a qualifying offer, tried to get a big contract didn't work. So we, we yeah. have seen that we saw a couple players this year, um, pass up the, 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 you know, the guaranteed money and settled for a little bit less. Um, I think jerks and profile is one of them maybe who is sort of just like still, yeah, uh, waiting. so nonetheless, there are examples, but I think the vast majority is, uh, it, it, it outweighs, um, you know, it working out for the players. So is there anybody else, in Major League Baseball right now that hates this Machado contract more than Nolan Arenado? Um, I, I, I don't know who it would be. I mean, is there anyone who loves it more than uh, Matt Chapman, who now becomes like right, the, the preeminent, free, yeah. Yeah, you know, in the next couple of years here? So, um, but yeah, the, the Nolan Arenado stuff is, um, I mean, you just have to assume he really wanted to stay in St. Louis and or that core. Um, maybe there were some, wink wink nod nod we're going to be going after some major players here kind of thing we want to keep it together he wants maybe he wants to win there i don't know but from a financial perspective pretty interesting so really interesting the rare opt-in i mean i think the fact that colorado's paying a lot of that contract had a lot to do with it but that's the first thing i thought of when i saw the machado extension uh and honestly with the bogarts opt-out and and contract the player i didn't think was going to go as big as he did and he certainly got his coin uh, Ian Desmond, by the way, made eighty million dollars in the game. So, right. So I know so, that's what I mean. Guess what? He nailed it. <laughs> All right. Um, couple of extensions still to come, Dan. I think Corbin Carroll in Arizona is on the clock. I know the Mets are trying with Pete Alonso. I don't know how hard they're trying this offseason. It might be a next year thing, if at all. Pete might want to get the free agency based on everything we've just talked about. Uh, and after what he saw with Aaron Judge. But this is Otani's year. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Otani. Uh, there's a chance now, now that we've seen San Diego again, you know, flex their muscles. There's a chance there's two $500 million players this time next year in Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. Is that an insurmountable thing to say? No, I don't think so at all. Especially if there's a bidding war at all for any of those guys. Um, right. You know, we saw some of the secondary free agents prices get inflated a little bit this past season um, once the big guys came off the board. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think it's in, in play for sure. OK, let's do our uh, win loss projection totals, some betting, some gambling, some uh, division title winners, all that fun stuff next week. Let's get ready for baseball season. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. My thanks to Dan. Like I said, we'll be priming up our MLB season uh, preview win-loss totals, maybe some award picks, some division winners, some great bets to make, some over-unders, all that good stuff as we uh, start our path through spring training. And I don't think we're done with contracts. I just don't. I mentioned the Corbin Carroll one. I think I think they're attempting to sign Pete Alonso in New York right now. They're kind of uh, slow playing him. He hit his first pitch of the spring, 423 feet. That's not a bad way to start. And Vlad Jr. has got two bombs in two days in spring training. He's a guy who I think might be the next $400 million player in baseball. So plenty of money still to be had out there in Major League Baseball. It's a good time to be a young rising star in this league. But uh, as, we, as we talked about here, there are ways to maximize it. There's no question about it. And Manny Machado has done that. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Podcast.